This show will pollute listeners' ears with foul language, occasional sexually explicit content, and more irony than is allowed for single episodes. Last several years, distributors of obscenity have expanded into new areas, employing new technologies and reaching new audiences. Neither our constitution, our courts, our people, nor our respect for common decency and human suffering will allow this trafficking in obscene material. Cinema psyops, which exploits women and men alike, to continue sharing filth-laden desires on mic to warp the brains of listeners until they are all demented deviants. Federal laws are being violated, and thus I am committed to redoubling the federal effort to ensure that those criminal elements who are trafficking in obscenity are pursued with a vengeance and prosecuted to the hill. The fact that society is becoming much more open now, less repressed, and I think there's less need for cinema psyops. Without dignity, they shout into the void in a vain attempt to be loved. Living in this culture now where there's just icebergs of filth floating through every house on Wi-Fi, it's inconceivable what it must be like to be a young adolescent now with this kind of access to cinema psyops. It must be dizzying and exciting, but corrupting in a way that we can't even think about. A pirate ship with a tattered flag, sailing across seas of questionable movies while firing cannons of disdain. Cinema Psyops. Long may she sail. Hello and welcome to Cinema Psyops. Sitting across from me in the studio, gleaming off of the top of his head like it's a cube, it's Matt. Hey! And your head is very much like a cube, you blockhead. That doesn't make any sense. Nothing we have ever said or done makes any sense. No. The stupidest shit that we come up with is what our listeners glom onto the most. They love dumb. They love dumb. Which is why they like you. Mm, I'm very popular. (laughs) Okay, so we make some offhand stupid comment about how you shave your head and when you're a white guy, automatically people go, you're racist. Yeah. That's a joke we were making. Yes. And then that turns into this evil twin named Tatam. Tatam. And people jump on that, man. They fucking love it. Tatam Psyop is a piece of garbage. He is a racist cunt. I, I would argue that both of you are. Well, I'm... Garbage, not a racist guy. Uh, yeah, I'm just garbage. I'm just plain garbage. That's a fact. You're a higher class of garbage I'm, I than Tatam. Higher, I have a higher level of garbage. Where I'm bottom of the barrel, Tam, is if the bottom of the barrel had its own bottom of the barrel. Well, how are we comparing this to, to the actual movies we're going to be talking about these 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 two weeks coming up? Because we're doing a doubleheader tonight, and we're going to yeah. release them uh, one week right after the other. Yeah. Okay. If the jail, the woman's hell, is... Yeah. Racist, misogynistic garbage. Yes. I would submit to you that the two movies that we're about to do in this double feature from the Intervision DVD, Project Nightmare and then Murder Lust, yeah. are a special class, like a cleaner, better garbage than yeah, they're, they're, the jail, j- the women's hell. They're just a step above the, <laughs> the women's hell jail. Yeah. And we're going to do Project Nightmare first. Oh, wait, why? Well, why not? It, it, it came later. It was released in 1987, yes, yeah. but yeah. they actually shot it first. When will then be now? 
you do your notes second. Okay, okay. What happened to then? Then is now. But what happens then? Nothing happened then. Then is over. It's now. Live in the now, not the then. When will then be now? What we are doing now. What <laughs> you need to focus in on here instead of trying to ham fist stupid space ball jokes into the episode. Assholes. I'm surrounded by assholes. <laughs> Cue the stupid fucking <laughs> Ghostbusters quote Matt always likes to do. Cue every other quote Matt that, always likes to do. still space balls. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying like that's that's your repertoire. Yeah, that is. Yeah. yeah. And then you occasionally dip into a Ghostbusters 2 reference. Yeah. Which yeah. which angers like Ghostbusters purists everywhere. The only way you could make them any more angry is if you quote the all female cast Ghostbusters. <laughs> I I don't know why, but I just uh, for some reason when I was on YouTube, just bringing up that all female lead Ghostbusters. Okay. I was just on YouTube and I was checking out and yeah, I don't know if you remember Vines, but for some reason I got into like looking at those and just chuckling. And one guy did a Vine where it was just him. He's talking and he goes, all female cast Ghostbusters. Next thing you know, the feminists will take control. And then it started playing the Ghostbusters music and he started singing, I'm an adult virgin (laughs) clip (laughs) yep (laughs) okay so project nightmare was actually shot sometime in the 70s if i'm remembering correctly because i did a little bit of a little bit of research basically just kind of reading the back of the dvd i didn't research anything but looking at it yeah you're probably about right yeah it was shot i would say like 77 78 somewhere around there i think if i remember correctly that's what people dressed like back then and then it wasn't released for like another decade uh because of monetary issues all sorts of other problems that they were having and it's clear in both of these films when we'll, we'll be comparing and contrasting them because they definitely learned a little bit when they moved on to do Murder Lust, which Mur- is why I wanted to do that one second. Yeah, Murder Lust is definitely yeah. more of a complete movie. <laughs> right. Now, Project Nightmare didn't get finished until much later and then got released much, much later. Mm-hmm. I think they also had a hard time securing a release for it. And we'll, we'll, t- we'll get into that once we actually do the film. But anyway, that's why we're going to do Project Nightmare first. And the reason that I keep referencing Murder Lust is that's the main disc. Yeah. That's what we're looking at right now that's the disc that's sitting up that's on the psyops what we're tower staring at. yeah <laughs> that's 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 what we're looking at right there and <laughs> the classic there's a female and then half a dude staring at her and it goes one of two ways because it's the same cover art but it always goes one of two ways if it's supposed to be like one of those uh, uh like a uh like a sensual movie it's just gonna be a dude maybe sitting there maybe he's holding flowers or something while a woman's getting undressed and then if it's a horror movie it's a dude holding a weapon while a woman's getting undressed and if it's a comedy it's like a guy holding the squirt gun while a woman's getting undressed. <laughs> or one of those like hammers that makes a loud crashing noise that's electronic. Yeah. Or or it can be also even like a, a international spy movie and it's a girl getting undressed and the guy's holding the gun, but he's in a tux. So it's different. It's classy. And he's going to defend her. Yeah. He's defending her more, more or less. I prefer the mix of like an erotic film where the guy's going to have a weapon. Yeah. But he's there to defend and or kill her. We can't tell what. Yeah. Because it's one of those like 90s erotic uh, the, thrillers. Like basic instinct type thing kind of only yeah. good yeah right. <laughs> like, only, I, oh, I, really the only good thing about basic instinct was the beaver shot that's the only reason anybody talks about that uh, film it, now. pretty much yeah because there's nothing else about that movie that elevates it above any of those other shit ass erotic thrillers from the 90s it, we whacked off it to. also was the closest thing michael douglas ever did to porn <laughs> uh, he got really close in the 90s do you remember it, disclosure and all of that kind of oh shit? my god he really did like yeah. he hit a, like a romp of shit like that yeah yeah he's like is there a famous lady actor i haven't slept with yet put her in a sex film with me you know how i got this throat cancer didn't he claim it was eating yeah. pussy yeah. yeah that's what he said it was eating out Catherine zeta jones wow specifically her that i did don't it. know maybe not but i mean that's who we've been married to the longest so i'm assuming that's you know 
Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's By not mucking he out a bunch it. of other stalls with his tongue. Yeah, you never know. That's true. <laughs> the <laughs> phrasing was not yeah, good on that. So not, but it was great. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he might be cleared out a few boxes with his tongue. Yeah, I mean, who knows? He licked a few centers of an eclair. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he might have stuck his tongue through a few donut holes, if you know what I mean. Yes, but now we're starting to sound like he liked to eat ass. <laughs> and that um, sounds like he should be hanging out with Nicki Minaj. Yeah, well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we started with Tatam and we ended with Michael Douglas and maybe possible ass eating. I want you to see how we went and listen back to this to see this whole road we went down. That's just the way it goes. That is. <laughs> well, while you guys have that image in your mind, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to play the promo for the Patreon for our flagship here at Legion Podcast, which Bo is probably really wishing we would stop doing this. Yes. Not because he doesn't want us to support it but because we probably disgusted people and they turned it off before they heard it. Yeah, usually it's what happens when you talk about ass eating. And when we take a little break here, we'll have a little bit of music befitting of Project Nightmare. When we come back, we will have no trailer because none exists. This'll keep it quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really. You can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon. And for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. We appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. Baby 
I certainly had my mind rocked by this movie trying to wrap my head around it while I was taking notes. Yeah, man. Project Nightmare is not a film that you can take lightly no matter how much you may want to try because there's some serious shit going on in this film, so... Probably shouldn't have done all those marijuanas before watching it. I don't know. That may have enhanced your understanding of what's going on in this film because this is a mindfuck film worthy of a very young David Lynch, I would say. Hmm. Well, it didn't help me, so go ahead. <laughs> all right, so the film opens up on various signs, computer monitors and consoles from what looks like the 70s or at least what people thought computer monitors and consoles would look like in the 70s. Pretty much the people who run our nuclear bases right now still think that looks futuristic. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And then we have like a gravestone that pops up with a letter on it before the actual opening credits pop up. And the opening credits are really interesting in this film. They actually scroll out on a CRT computer monitor and it looks like they're being typed out. And when I listened to the commentary, they said that they actually had to shoot that frame by frame and they would type a letter, shoot it, type a letter, shoot it. And then they would animate it that way. Painstakingly time consuming. Yeah, the, just to be able to get a computer monitor to do your credits, which is really interesting. So when that actually gets finished up, we actually see that the title is supposedly Touchstone or Project Touchstone, depending upon which version of this you see. The one that we had from the disc just says Touchstone, mm. although it was released later on as Project Nightmare. I think that's a better title to sell it under. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, I think so. Well, it cuts away from all of this after the credits, and there's dialogue, so that's our first clip. Yes. Well, what do you think? I don't know. I know. It sure beats the hell out of me. But there's got to be some kind of logical explanation. You're right. You're absolutely right. So go on and explain it to me. I want to hear some logic. It just doesn't make any sense. Thanks. Well, what do you expect out of me? <laughs> Damn. You know, well, you think we would have heard something last night. I mean, the way our, our stuff was scattered all over the place like that. Now we got this, well, well whatever it is on our tails. Still here? Yeah, I know. Come on, guys. Let's go. Something's funny. Right out there, seven or eight miles, should be Clanston. What do you mean, should be? Can't you find it? No. Also, those two cities by the foothills, uh, you know, just as a side of Fielding Pass, what, uh, Vineyard and, uh... Ferrell's? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't see any cities anywhere. Wait a minute. What do you make of it? I don't know. But I think we better find that shelter for tonight. Hello. Uh, look, I hate to bother you, but we've had a little bit of trouble. Uh, do you mind if we use your telephone? Uh, we're trying to find a place to stay. Come in. Well, we really just... I'm really uh, sorry. I don't have a phone. But you can come in and rest a while. Oh, well, listen, we, we don't want to put or you out. to spend the night. Listen, we don't want to put you out. I, I just... If you put me out, I wouldn't have asked you. Well, come on in. Sit down. You two look as if you can use a drink. Listen, that's really nice have? of you. A scotch. I dreamed all night of scotch. And you? Beer, please, if you got it. Sure. Don't move. Revival's on the way. You sound like a missionary. I said revival, not salvation. Did I miss something? To be honest with you, no. <laughs> but you have saved us. Us, by the way, being myself, John Redmond, and my blind Eagle Scout, Gus Whitaker. John, hi. Gus, I'm Marcy. Thank you. Do you live up here alone? Yes. But aren't you afraid? I mean, we don't invite two strange men into your house like this. Oh, I trust my intuition. I don't think I have anything to be afraid of. <sighs> I'm not so sure that's a compliment. But what about the... What happened out there? What? Marcy, let me explain. You see, last night, Gus and I camped out down near Velasco, and, well, when we woke up this morning, our, our tent had been ripped apart, and, well, our supplies were scattered all over the place. Probably the wind. I've seen the wind around here lift the trees right out of the ground. No, it was more than that. There was this... Anyway, we just started running like hell, just as fast as we could go, and, well, this, whatever it was, was, was right behind us. Oh, come on. Two grown men. Must have been something you ate. Or maybe you two haven't eaten yet. Let's go out and fix dinner. <laughs> well, you had to be there. There I was, on the four-yard line, with nobody around me. I mean, nobody for miles except Gus, who was supposed to be running interference for me. But he stumbled, fell under me, I dropped the ball, and we lost the... Needless to say, we lost the game. <laughs> I decided to go there not, not to try for the NFL. Well, Gus, if you could ever walk and chew gum at the same time, you could have been a good running back. Oh, I really hated it. 
All those huddles and backslapping. I only did it because he did. I only wanted to be part of the gang. I wouldn't fit in. Surely we went into the air conditioning business. Air conditioning? Well, it pays well. And I really didn't like bugs. You see, we both really enjoy machinery, and, well, we like our independence. So we work like hell during the week, and, well, we take off to the country on the weekends. I'll get more coffee. You need some milk? Oh, no, thanks. It's already made. Uh-huh. What does aha mean? Oh, nothing. Just aha. Uh-huh. That's all. That's a sweet lady. Funny. I know nothing about her, yet I know everything. Sounds like our Gus is slipping his neck into a noose. Marcy, that was spectacular. My pleasure. It's not often I have such entertaining guests. I'm surprised you have any at all. You know, this place has got to be the end of the line. Or the beginning. It depends on your point of view. Well, the view is great. But what's the point? I mean, well, there's nobody up here to see it. Why do you live up here? I enjoy being alone, away from the huddles and the back slapping. But what do you do? Oh, I have a garden out back. And I read a lot. Sometimes I just sit and do nothing. Well, you two should get along great. You know, I've got to practically burn Gus's books to get him out of the house. I've often wondered why you bothered. I need somebody to run interference for me, old buddy. Well, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some sleep. I'll show you the way. And I'll bring some blankets back for you, Gus. Marcy, you know, you've got a way of making everything special. You make me feel more, what? Content, I guess. Anyway, thank you. Good night, buddy. I'll see you in the morning. Okay, that was about 15 minutes of screen time condensed down into three minutes because yeah. there's a lot of walking and wandering around and trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Also, wow, man, can those guys get any more attached to a lady they just met? Dudes, you're going to turn her off, man. Yeah, but she... got to play cool. That's the thing about this film is there's automatically a familiarity where they don't really discuss it, but it's like she already knows them and they already know her. Yeah. And there's all sorts of stuff that's just off about this film right off from the bat, where even just the way that the guys are interacting with each other and everything feels just slightly off. Mm -hmm. Now, that could be attributed whenever you first start watching the film to novice filmmakers who don't know what they're doing, novice actors who are stinted and are kind of emotionless and are having a hard time delivering their dialogue Uh and granted there's a lot of goddamn dead space between what these people are saying that i removed for this show oh my god yeah yeah it's bad (laughs) it get get you know we'll get to wonder lost when we get to it but yeah Yeah. it's bad in here yeah yeah but you take that stuff into account that you're watching pretty much a couple of first-time filmmakers i don't know what else that they did but this is the first release that they actually got the first thing they made that actually got released that i found and you kind of have to just overlook all of that and just look at what it is that they're trying to do with this film, which is the approach that I'm taking. Yeah. So any complaints that I have about the film are automatically null and void as far as I'm concerned because it's a first-time filmmaker and I wouldn't expect this from a student film yeah. that I saw, so that's what I'm picturing this as. I gotcha. We're covering a student film. Yeah. Alright, so after this bit of dialogue where we kind of get a whole history about what's going on with these guys and how they've been friends forever, and we see that Gus is a burgeoning emo. Yes. He's like yeah. a full-grown I know, adult I know, emo. I don't like it. Too much backslapping. <laughs> well, he doesn't like people. He's anti Social, but yeah. at the same time, he never really fit in, and he just feels he's always in pain. He's always feeling abandoned, and he really opens up to that lady really fucking fast. It's, he really does. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. He's like, everyone leaves me. You'll leave me. We're so. not there yet. All right. Yeah. But <laughs> but I really want to get to that part because that was fucking weird. Well, that's our next clip, so we'll get there okay. very shortly. Okay. All right. So- <laughs> After this clip, when John is let off to go to wherever he is going to go to sleep, Gus then kind of wanders around the cabin house thing and starts looking around. And he has this quick flash of what I can only have notated as 70s CGI animation vision. Yes. It's like these weird boxy things that you would have seen in like Tron, mm-hmm. only on a very low budget. So, kind of like Pong. <laughs> yeah. It looks like, like Pong. Pong is being played. Like he was watching a couple of kids playing Pong. It looks 
pretty much like if you had your head slammed into a TV right as Pong was being played. Yes. Like, that's what it would look like to you right before your head crashed through the CRT. You know what? Are you guys playing Pong? (laughs) (laughs) And so he has that vision just right before Marcy tells him that he doesn't know what it was that he had actually seen because... Yeah, he's like staring out the window and there's a breeze. Yeah. And he thinks he sees something out there. Yeah, and then she's like, well, you're not... You don't really know what you saw. You know, it could have been a trick of your mind. You're tired. You've been walking around all day, that kind of thing. It's just basically dismissive of this man who's very clearly terrified about what it is. Yeah, something out there. And then he has a little bit of a meltdown on her, like, how dare you tell me I don't know what I'm seeing? And then immediately apologizes as if they've always been friends and that she's just going to let that go and not kick this strange man out of her house. How dare you, lady? I don't know you. I'm so sorry. We've known each other for years. It's kind of what it feels like. Like, it just goes back and forth like that in the film. And when you're first watching this, you're like, what the fuck, movie? What? Pick a lane. Yeah, dude. Come on, man. (laughs) And then he says something along the lines of how he never says what he feels or what's going on. And then he starts getting real philosophical about his life. And he just opens up a whole can of emotion on this woman. And that was dialogue. And so it's our next clip. Hey. Why? Well, all these things inside me and I want to get them out. And when I try, people leave. I I lose them before I get them. Do you think you lose me? Yes. I'm here, Gus. Mm, For the moment. But what about tomorrow? All we ever have is the moment. It's not enough. I'm going to be alone tomorrow. There's too much pain. Pain goes away, too. Then there's nothing. One fat zero. Do you feel responsible? Responsible? Hell no. They left. I mean, even my father. What about your father? Even if he was trying to rescue me, it it was not my fault he drowned. My mom? She just shut herself in a room. I was sent away to school. That's where I met John. He was a big man on campus. Everybody liked him. All the girls hung on him. He felt sorry for me, I guess. He let me follow him around. Now he's leaving, too. I don't blame him. If it wasn't for me, he and Phyllis would be happy together. When I got out of the service, I had no place to go. I used to hang out at their house. Too long, I guess. Phyllis, she got tired of me, and she was pregnant, and she raised hell with John. He said... Shit, man, I'm sorry. It was raining. I got drunk, so drunk. Then I was in jail, and I called John, and he came. But Phyllis, Phyllis went into labor, and she had to run to her neighbors, and she lost the baby. He was born dead, John's baby, his son. He's right, you know. I do destroy everything. Tomorrow, I'll be all alone again. Jesus Christ, man. Wow. No wonder he's so fucking morose. You emo. Yeah, but listen to all the shit that he went through, though. Yeah. His father drowned trying to rescue him, and so his mother blamed him, shut herself in a room, and then sent him off to a boarding school. Yep. And he didn't fit in in the boarding school, but he met John, and John took pity on him and became his friend. So his entire life, John, who's been his best friend, has been bagging on him to make himself feel better. Uh Fucking no wonder Gus is so morose and insane. You know what, though? just gonna say this yeah rub some dirt on it and you just get the hell back out there <laughs> play the game <laughs> says the only guy in the room who's actually gone to therapy have i gone to therapy <laughs> yeah yeah you have <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> I'm not saying you're not the only guy in the room who should be in therapy. I'm saying you're the only one who was voluntarily going. You, me, and the other three guys in here, we all need to go to therapy. There's two of us, man. (laughs) What did you take? And you're not driving home. Yeah, that's probably for the best. Although the card right here was eventful. (laughs) That explains why you were making the Mario sounds when you were walking up to my door. I got a fireball. (laughs) 
All right, so after that whole diatribe, which really feels like a man opening up to the first woman he's ever loved, that's what that felt like to me. I, I, it felt like a man opening up to, like, he's had this all brimmed forever. Uh-huh. And finally, someone showed an interest in him that, you know, and he, he felt guilty. He doesn't want to lay anything out to his friend who he already feels guilty toward. It's the first person who well, maybe... Well, he killed his yeah. friend's child in his own mind. She miscarried because she went to the hospital too late. Yeah, maybe it's like the first person who he doesn't fe- who he feels close to. To, uh-huh. But yet, doesn't feel like he's ruined them. In You're any reading into way. the direct narrative the film is showing you. What you need to do is look below the surface of what they're trying to represent from yeah. his perspective, from Gus's perspective. I gotcha. So what you're seeing is the film as it's there, as it's being shown. Uh-huh. It's just the first time the guy's just opening up and unloading all of his emotions on yeah. someone that he's feeling like he's not going to be a burden on, and then immediately apologizes for it because he feels like he's then burdening her. Yeah, and then he ruins everything. And he's like, "Well, I'll be left with my pain, and that's all I have. And then if that's gone, then I'm nothing. I'm just a." And it's like, hey, man, I went through an emo phase in high school, too. That's nice. (laughs) Here, just let me swap out those Joy Division and Cure albums that you're listening to. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to prescribe to you a box set of the Ramones. Mm -hmm. We're going to give you that and then a little bit of Blondie's music, and we'll see if that brings you out of it. And that's when you're going to look at you and go, do you have any Nirvana? (laughs) And then I punch you in the face. (laughs) How dare you, sir, when I offer you an olive branch of Ramones. How dare you, sir? I said good day! This leads to a vision of a young child playing what seems to be hide-and-go-seek through a cemetery, or at least he's running around. And then it looks like there's a grown man who's looking kind of stern at him, but then the grown man is chasing him. So are they playing a little, like, chase-you-chase-me thing the kids like to do, or what? Yeah. I, I couldn't really They're tell. They're playing, but... like, a tag. See, I never had a father who played games with me or showed any interest in me at that age. Oh, yeah. I was just, hey, fuckhead, go get me a beer. Yeah, oh, yeah, That's yeah. all I really had. I didn't really have a Wait. game time with my... What? Wait, are you say that's being a bad father? Not necessarily. Oh, thank God. Nothing could be my father for the truth, Matt. Jesus Christ, what have I done? My dad didn't say anything. Uh, are, are you all right, buddy? What? You want to go out back? No, I'm fine. God damn it. I'm just going to get some more tattoos, maybe do some scarification. Want to go throw the bowl around a little bit? Maybe get another piercing or two. Mm-hmm. Want to go wrap around a fire? Maybe punch a guy with auburn hair for no reason. Auburn hair? <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with that. All right, so this whole diatribe leads to that young child playing in the cemetery with his father who apparently actually loves him. I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> it's fucking weird, man. <laughs> then the man is laying down in the cemetery for some reason, right in front of a gravestone. And I think there's some symbolism going on there because he's laying really still and the kid's just kind of hiding behind a tree watching this. Then a priest walks up and does what seems to be some type of a rite. He's like... The way he's gripping that tombstone, though, he looks like he's almost humping it. But the man or the priest? The priest. Yeah, the priest gets real pervy real fast. Like he's holding on to that gravestone. He's mumbling. And it's just like, well, and hey, here's man. the Here's the weird thing. He brings like what looks like an oversized martini glass filled with water that's supposed to be holy water. And then he starts dipping something that doesn't look like the thing that you spray the holy water with in there. No. I, I don't know what that was supposed to be symbolic because the film print wasn't good enough to be able to tell what it was supposed to be. It's heroin, holy water. It's nice. It's Whatever it was. But it was like he's doing some kind of a rite over top of the guy like he's doing some kind of funerary rite or something. I'm guessing. I don't know, while he's laying there in front of a tombstone, including splashing that water on him from that weird-looking martini glass thing. Did that not look like a large martini glass? Yeah, yeah. man. I was. I got thirsty. Or maybe a margarita glass, too, because it did have little sides to it. I don't know. Wasted away again. Margaritaville. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Then the kid starts 
praying at a, the side of a tombstone that's in the shape of a cross, and then the priest gets real rapey as he's kind of looking down over top of that tombstone at the little kid. Yeah. And the priest's crotch is right where the little kid's praying mouth would be. Oh. I'm just saying, that's what the symbolism was there. It was there. Mm. And the only thing stopping him was a tiny little cross. It wasn't that tiny, though. It was like a tombstone. Yeah, but it wasn't enough to stop Mr. Rapey Pants from reaching down and grabbing the kid, because that happened in that shot. Yeah. Then we get some more shots of the cemetery, and then a shot of full-grown Gus, then a shot of John and Marcy, longingly looking at each other, and then they kiss a little bit. And then Marcy looks as though she's digging on Gus a little bit, so we have some kind of a love triangle or something? I don't know. Yeah. Then Gus wakes up and kind of screams and tries to figure out what the fuck is going on, like the rest of us who are watching this film currently. Yeah, we're like, I'm like, what the fuck? It's at this point when things start to kind of come together a little bit, and I start trying to switch off my movie reviewer trying to figure out what's going on directly in the what I'm being shown part of the film Uh and then I switch on my art hat watching a student film pretentious movie reviewer style thing and I start trying to look behind the lines Uh, that's exactly where I knew I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue (laughs) or if you're watching this film you may have picked the correct week no no I think that would have helped me understand this a little bit more opened up my mind (laughs) or crashed it or something I started huffing gas though and that helped they cut away from that to Marcy's cabin as the men are leaving out the front door with a thermos that she loaned to him and then says bring that back at some point in time insinuating once again that she has known them for quite a while because you just don't loan some fucking hobos your thermos no and expect them to bring it back yeah they ain't bringing that thermos back she also packed them a huge bag of fucking sandwiches making marcy a champ listen i yeah i've known you for a lot of years i wouldn't let you borrow my thermos (laughs) i've known you for plenty of years if i handed you anything that you could possibly fit your dick into to fuck it yeah i'm not wanting it back no no that would happen because you would fuck it yeah yeah Many a VCR tape has been ruined because of you. <laughs> By the way, do you want those donuts back? <laughs> no, just uh. send them right to Michael Douglas. Apparently he likes to lick that <laughs> shit out. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> I said apparently. Yeah, apparently. Apparently, allegedly, definitely. Yeah. All right, where the fuck was I before we went on that whole pussy-eating tangent? I think I should leave that in. I think you should. I think I should leave this in. You should. I should also leave this in. You should leave all of it in. <laughs> We're going to go meta with how much stuff I'm leaving in for Project Nightmare. Hell yeah, because then is now. <laughs> So she packed them a shitload of sandwiches and gave them a thermos and then sent them on their way to this restaurant that apparently has a phone or something like that. It's like this, uh, you know, up in the mountains kind of getaway yeah. summer restaurant or well, something they like that. They do remark how weird it is to have a restaurant this far out of the way. That's later on in the film, but yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the whole film jumbles up anyway. It really does. Me. Well, now I watched this one second. So I had done all my notes and everything for Murder Lust and then I compounded this on top of Murder Lust. So. Yeah, I should have probably warned you that this was going to be tripping you need to I watch got a, it first i got a little punch drunk even before i was watching this thing which i would still argue is probably the right state of mind to see the film in. probably all right so while they're walking on their way to the restaurant which seems to take an awful lot of screen time before we actually get any dialogue or anything going on to know what the fuck is going on well, this is something they also carry over to murder last <laughs> but we get back to that yeah there's like a weird flashing light that appears in the sky and at first i thought it was just a problem with the film when they're looking at some weird cloud cover or something like that. I thought so too. I thought so too. I'm like, what the fuck? It's just this weird off-color mm, thing. Looks like they ran out of editing money. And then the men get real terrified of whatever this thing is and start questioning how and why it is following them. And they do mention earlier in the film that something has been following them since their shit had been ripped up. 
and the yeah. tenant got thrown all over the place I mean, and all of that. To be honest, if this kind of disturbance is starting to follow me around, I'd probably be scared and run from it too. Yeah, if I had some weird discoloration going on at the corner of everything that I saw, I'd be a little bit upset too. Yeah, right? Because I paid a lot of money for that shit and it better kick in better than that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If we're seeing discoloration down at every corner of our genitals, we're definitely going to be scared to try to run from it. You have corners in your genitals? Yes. <laughs> what are you, from Minecraft? Yes. <laughs> you blockhead. I am 8-bit. <laughs> I got bit once and man, was that great. <laughs> I'm just glad they didn't eat what they bit. <laughs> oh, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. All of it sounds painful. That's where eight bits go. Oh, man, whatever you do, just wash your hands afterwards, all right? <laughs> and then go to the clinic and get screened. It's yeah, free. Right. Jesus. All right, so John walks up to this weird discoloration to look a little closer at it, and then that's when they start showing some weird kind of animation where it gets stripey and stuff. And then John decides to use a path through the trees because for some odd reason, this light and this discoloration won't go anywhere near the trees, which they never really bother to explain or really bring back. They just yeah. say it doesn't. Yeah. So he realizes he has no idea what it is that he's doing or why he's even going there. So all of a sudden, just in the middle of the path, after he killed a whole bunch of runtime, he decides to turn around and join his friend back on the road. Uh, that's good. And then the pair turn around and casually stroll down another road to find a man standing by his car. When I say casually stroll, I mean if there's this weird threatening, misshapen light discoloration that goes all over the forest around you and you're terrified of it, these guys walk so unenthusiastically away from it. Yeah, well, they're trying to be badass, man. <laughs> I guess. I don't know, but... Like, we ain't fucking... We ain't scared of you. We're not scared of discoloration in the sky or underneath our ball sacks. We're not scared of none of that. I'm scared of the one under my ball sack for sure if that <laughs> happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be scared of that. Oh, I thought you were talking about President Tuck that you are currently scared of the discoloration underneath your ball sack. No, I'm good. You good? Yeah. You're good with this discoloration, <laughs> but if it changes later, it's bad. Well, I paid an artist to tattoo that discoloration. Oh, that's nice. I'm just hoping the swelling goes down soon because it's really hard to sit here. <laughs> you had to pay like quadruple that kind of action. It was a thousand bucks just to hold it, Matt. <laughs> no wonder I have such massive credit card debt. <laughs> All right, so they walk down another road and they find a man standing by his card. There's dialogue and Matt's losing his shit, so that's our next clip. Boy, am I glad to see you guys. Goddamn tire went flat on me. It does look too bad. Suppose you gentlemen could take care of the tire. I, I'm really not feeling well. I'm I'm sorry. Must be the heat. You just take it easy. Give me a hand, Gus. Don't suppose we're going to run off you, do you? Where are you guys headed? Fair Oaks. It's where I was scheduled to land. I, I know that probably sounds confusing, but... I didn't want you guys to think I'm a car thief. I found this car alongside a road, abandoned. That's why I was so surprised when it started. I looked around for the owner for 20 minutes. <clears throat> Nowhere around. You see, I, I was flying a little Cessna 172. The company's. A uh, strange thing happened. I Anyway, engine went dead. I was forced to land. After I abandoned the plane, I, I thought, where's a reliable car at a time like this? Sure got that order filled. Then I was traveling along at a good clip, and I thought, all I need now is a flat tire. And not three seconds later, that damn tire went flat. It's not my day. Do you suppose there'd be a search for your plane? Uh, I didn't file a flight plan. Stupid of me. I did turn on the beacon, make the plane easier to find. Sure lucky to find this car. Oh. You know, you know, I almost got a pilot's license once. Uh, oh. <sighs> oh, oh, oh. Check on him, Gus. See how he's doing. Oh, man, he's in bad shape. John! Okay, so during that clip... 
the man that they come across who had a car who he just happened to find, so it was like a car of requirement. It just was there when he needed it. Yeah. And it wasn't until he thought to himself, boy, would I be in danger if I got a flat tire that he actually got a flat tire. I mean, holy cow, he was involved in a, what, what sounds like a plane crash. No. Uh, he took it and landed it in the desert and yeah. then started walking. He turned on the beacon. The plane was fine. He didn't yeah. see it crash. He just had an emergency that's landing. True. There's a big difference. Uh, that's true. But still. There's an emergency landing is essentially a plane crash you can walk away from. Yeah. <laughs> Where everyone can walk away from it, that's an emergency landing. Regardless, the emergency of the landing the is plane. you just landed, just probably not at the airport. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can touch down on a highway if you really have to, exactly. particularly in the little like crop duster he was apparently flying. Oh yeah. All right. So the man seems to have had a heart attack during the clip there. So they all pile into the car and then they head back to Marcy's cabin. But as soon as they get there, it is afflicted by that weird, wicked light of some sort. And John kind of bolts and runs off, and Gus finds a way inside. He kind of breaks his way in and tries to take Marcy out as the light grows stronger. It looks like it's affecting them both in some way, shape, or form. It kind of looks like a pink, weird, like off-red, light red, pink hue to everything. Yeah. It's salmon. (laughs) Salmon. (laughs) He gets her out, and they decide they're all going to leave, but since they got the old guy in the back of the car who is dying, they all pile into the front of the car. You don't want to sit in the backseat with the old guy dying. That's just weird. Yeah, he might shit on you. Yeah. They all pile into the front of the car, and they drive off. Marcy bandages up Gus' wrist with some kind of weird neckerchief thing she had, I think. I couldn't yeah. quite tell. It's like a hair tie thing. They look in the back, and it turns out the pilot may actually be dead now. There's some more fucking dialogue, so that's our next clip. He never even knew his name. Search his pockets. See if you can find a wallet. What does it say on his life? Uh, David Philip Hall. Ah, uh, this is unbelievable. Where are you going? Well, there must be a telephone up here somewhere. You stay here, we'll be right back. What an asinine place to put a restaurant. Shit! Come around here, I found something. Well, it's about time. Well, would you like to do the honors? Nope, it's all yours. You wouldn't happen to have a dime, would you? (laughs) Come on, come on. What is this? It's crazy! What in God's name's going on around here? Okay, so the pair actually did find the restaurant with Marcy's help. They walked down there, and that's when they comment about it's a weird place to have a restaurant built into the side of the mountain or whatever. Yeah. The restaurant appears to be closed, however. It's all locked up tight. It's even bolted down. It has a couple of keep-out signs and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. They end up finding a phone and try to make a call, but there is no help there. And on the way back up to the car, John gets a weird, trippy sensation and stares off frightened into the sky for some reason, then just hops into the car and drives off. This entire time, John has been unbuttoning his really fancy 70s shirt. Yeah. One button at a time. Hey, man. We're one, getting close to naval level. It's like, it's like DEFCON. <laughs> We're about four buttons into DEFCON right now. Yeah, Things yeah. are getting real scary it's for John, not, and he's not, concerned. It's DEFCON 4. We're, we're, it's, things are getting bad. And it looks like the kind of shirt that you would have seen Mr. Roper or Mr. Farley wearing on fucking yeah. Three's Company. I'm sorry. Actually, at this point, when was at naval? We're at DEFCON 2. We're almost at cocked pistol. <laughs> cocked pistol. <laughs> that's pretty far that's down. Legi- the belt. That's legit DEFCON 1. But this was the 70s, so he would have had his belt pulled up to his nipples. So we're still at uh, DEFCON 3 if it's at the belt level. You think? Yeah, it depends upon how far up you have that pulled. That's true. All right, we'll go with a 3. Either way, John's really concerned, and he keeps unbuttoning his shirt, really making the audience uncomfortable yes, and concerned. I'm uncomfortable. They run the car all the way to empty on the gas, and there is some really beautiful mountain road shots here during this, which is quite great. A 
it looks like they're in maybe the Mojave or somewhere in the California desert. Yeah. I think they said they shot somewhere near Bear, Big Bear Lake. Oh, yeah. Which would make sense. So then probably in like the Sierras, I'm guessing. I don't really they're, know the geography. These well filmmakers enough. enjoy the desert. That's for sure. Oh, and the mountain landscape? Yeah. I was enjoying it. I was like, fuck, I yeah, don't know where they're saying, at, but it's beautiful. Yeah. I like mountains in case you couldn't tell, man. I, I know. Yeah. Both in geography and on women. Yeah. All yeah. right. The Grand Tetons like to climb Giga-dee. them. Good D. Good You like to get that Rocky Mountain high? Yes. Yeah. But only in Colorado. Only in Colorado. <laughs> it's legal there, Matt. You it would is. love it. Mm-hmm. But you got to be careful because those marijuanas will turn you gay. You know, for a marijuana. <laughs> okay, so they're on some beautiful mountain roads and they come to a stop. Actually, quite ingeniously, they stop at the top of a hill to kind of check their surroundings and see what's going on. So they have, one, a better vantage point, And two, could at least coast the car down the hill as far as it goes so they don't have to walk any further. Yeah. Which was very smart. Yes, that was actually very intelligent. And they start to... They start talking about a plan of what they're going to do. And that leads to our next clip. I don't know about this, Gus. If we run out of gas down there... Doesn't look as if we have much of a choice. Yeah. Wait a minute. I see something. Where? It's out there. Where? I don't see where you're... Yeah. You think it might be a town? Might be. Think we'll make it? I don't know. How far do you think it is? Yeah. 15, 20 miles. Almost comes like one of those. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. What are you hungry for? I don't know. What do you want? They decide that they're still going to make a go for it, even though they're really close to the end on gas. And they make some kind of a statement about if they end up with no gas down there at the bottom of the hill, where it's all desert area or something like that, that could be the death of them. That's going to take them into the desert, and they just don't know if they're going to survive. Yeah. They decide to go ahead for it, so they do, and then they abandon the car once it finally looks like it's running out of gas. But they do see something out in the distance that they're heading for, and they're trying to take the car as far as they can go. They end up at like some kind of a detour sign or something like that. Uh-huh. And that ends up having them turning left. And then the car just stops. So they abandon it. And then after they all walk away from the car, it just completely disappears, leaving it what I thought was a first the pilot's body. But it just turns out it's like all their bags and stuff that was in the car. Uh-huh. Everything else is gone. The car just disappears right there in front of you on screen. So Damn. if you weren't getting it before that something's trippy in this film and something just ain't right, that pretty much drives the point home. No one seems to understand that the car just disappears or even acknowledges yeah. it after this. No. Not at all. They Something's don't even talk about the their car. minds. Or their minds just aren't working, right? They end up finding the plane, which is perfectly in working order, and it's assumed to be the dead guy's plane. They start talking about it. Hey, that's dialogue, so that's our next clip. All right. Well, what do you know? Think that's Hall's plane? I don't know. Must be. Well, you're not going to fly out of here in that thing, Gus. There's something wrong with it, or Hall would have been forced to land it. Yeah. Can't see a damn thing wrong with it. The fuel shut off valve is in the off position, for Christ's sake. Do you think he might have touched it or kicked it accidentally? Can't see how. Might have been that way when he left. Yeah, he wouldn't have gotten very far, though. Do you suppose there's an airport around here somewhere? Could be. <clears throat> Maybe that town we saw from the mountains. There, I should be able to fly this thing out of here now. Look, I hate to discourage you, but just how much experience flying do you think you've had? Enough. From watching your brother, I suppose. No, I've handled a few myself. You haven't even got a pilot's license. Could you even land this thing? I've done more landings than you could count. A hell of a lot more than some people with pilot's licenses. Of course. All right, all right. I just hope you know what you're talking about. I do? Look, maybe you better stay here with Marcy while I check this out myself. Why? Well, just in case something does go wrong. Uh-huh, I thought so. Look, I think we better forget about this whole airplane business and just drive to that damn town. Now, it can't be very far. All right. I'm going to see if there are any supplies on board. I'll catch up. Marcy, you go on with John. 
Okay, so he basically lied and decided to leave them there while he takes the plane. I don't know if that was a selfless or selfish act. It's really hard to tell with Gus at this point. Yeah. And did you notice as soon as Gus flies off, Marcy disappears and John's all alone? Yeah, his his fear came to fruition. Oh, but Gus is the one that doesn't want to be alone. And that's he's right. The one that's he's the one off. that's flying off. Yeah. John is not left. John is, uh, yeah, yeah I got mixed up there. I got mixed up. But Marcy just disappears, which I thought yeah. was a gaffe in the film. But once you kind of see things that happen later on. I don't think it was a gaffe, not with how things have already gone, especially with the car disappearing. Yeah. I just thought, okay. Well, they never actually show Marcy disappearing. Yeah. They don't. She just isn't there. Yeah, she just isn't there all of a sudden. So that's what I'm thinking. And then they don't show her in the plane. They don't show her in the plane with Gus. So. What the hell? Yeah. But that's fine. They kind of explain things later. Yeah. All right. So Gus flies off. John is completely alone. All he has left is the bags that were in the car, but doesn't even seem to notice or care that the car is gone. They cut from this to Gus flies the plane and some weird sort of supernaturally stuff starts occurring where the plane loses control. John tries to move the stick to fly the plane. It doesn't do anything. And the plane starts flying itself all of a sudden. Oh, that's good. And then a bunch of weird lights start flashing at him and everything. And he's getting ready to go all fiery in the sky and have his anus probed. Can I get on this plane? You're just like out there at every crop circle going, come on, guys, take me. Let's go. I won't put up a fight. Uh, Don't be a tease. So Gus finally gets control of it and then flies it into a weird CGI magenta light like we were seeing earlier. Yep. They cut from that to John walking on the desert road all by himself. His shirt is now unbuttoned all but like two buttons, which pretty much take him below the naval level. We're we're a cocked pistol. Shit has gotten real for John in that desert. He's looking around while he's walking around. That's a no way, shape, or form padding out the runtime of the film to Not a at cool all. 74 minutes when it could have very easily been a 45-minute student film. Exactamundo. They cut from this to Gus gets control of the plane. All of a sudden, he notices that. He starts tilting the stick to see the wings shift like they're supposed to. I don't know fuck all about flying a plane, but yeah. they, they demonstrate how it's supposed to work for you, so watch the goddamn movie, kids, if you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they cut from that to Gus on the ground all of a sudden, just staring at power lines that were what John walked past as well, and then he walks into like this weird forest area to find a weird pyramid thing that's right up against a chain link fence, or right around a chain link fence, and then he walks over to the chain link fence and touches it, and then walks back up around the roadway completely kind of ignoring the fact that the pyramid's there even though he did look at it yeah and then all of a sudden as he walks back up through part of the roadway he looks at the pyramid and then decides to hang a left and then walk right up to it and he gets a little close to it to kind of check it out and then automatically is shocked by some weird energy blast for whatever reason because yeah he gets close to it it shocks him then he does it again and it shocks him then he starts testing it by touching it with his hand and he just keeps doing it over and over again and then all of a sudden it just stops shocking him when he sticks his whole arm there and then he just walks on over and the pyramid disappears as it stops shocking him. Then he walks up to it, then crawls down inside of the hole and it turns out there's a fucking ladder that leads him down in there so he crawls in the hole and climbs down that goddamn ladder. Don't ask me, kids. That's just what's happening on screen. Hey, man, just when you see a ladder, you climb down that shit. He walks over to a red door that they clearly stole from the set of Star Trek that opens up an elevator for him. This elevator takes him to what I assume is down. It ends up opening up in a hallway of what looks like an artist's loft because there's a bunch of little like doors and a just plain white hallway and pretty much a cement floor. Yeah. So we've gotten the Star Trek door for an elevator that's paneled and then an artist's loft hallway with no doors. <laughs> yeah. And it's just all open doorways everywhere. Okay. 
<laughs> Someone ends up going from one room across the hall to another right behind him. He kind of gets creeped out but doesn't notice it, but we see it, and that kind of gives you a little bit of a jump if you just notice it out of the corner of your eye. Yeah, it creeps me out a little bit. He goes to follow that particular person and is grabbed by a guy with a fucking prosthetic nose for no other reason other than just because. Yeah, right. There are two other people in the room. A bunch of weird dialogue starts getting delivered, and, well, fuck it, it's dialogue. That's our next clip. You have nothing to say, not even as much as a feeble excuse. What? Killer. What? Who the hell are you? I don't understand. Kill yourself. What is all of this? How did you get in here? I don't know. There was some kind of electrical energy that kept me from the entrance and all of a sudden wasn't there anymore. What are you doing here? This is a restricted area. A little bit of your imagination run wild? That's the second time I've seen her. She just disappears. Do you know her? Her, her name is Marcy. I realize that you're an outsider and that you don't belong here. I don't know who Marcy is. I suspect that she's out of your imagination. What do you mean? Didn't you see her? Yes, I did. I guess I better explain a little bit about this place. It's called Project Touchstone. Touchstone? The word means any test of inner strength. That's what this project is about. Whatever goes on in the test subject's mind, his fears, hopes, loves, hates, are transformed into physical reality with the help of my computer. These emotions become solid entities and must be dealt with by the subject. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to warn you. As long as you're here, it is absolutely vital to control what goes on inside your head. You're warning me? You and your computer are messing around with my head and you're warning me? I didn't say that it was. That it's concerned with you. I merely... Is it? I'm not sure. It has been putting out some data that, lately, that quite frankly puzzles me. But there's no concrete evidence that... No concrete evidence? You're just going to sit around here and wait for... Look, I'm warning you. You'd better come up with a concrete explanation of what this has to do with me. Nothing. I don't know. Touchstone was designed to serve as a mental testing ground for astronauts, for scientists assigned to duties in isolated parts of the world. People like that. Yeah? What about you and that girl in the other room? That didn't look mental to me. Must have seemed bizarre, to say the least. It was only a psychological test. Quite legitimate, I assure you. The computer acts as a catalyst. I program it to create ideal conditions environments in which to test the subject for possible neuroses, psychoses, brought about by extreme isolation, physical or psychological, such as the type astronauts on long voyages might face. That's what I was doing when you popped in. I've been developing this project for the last 10 years, using myself as a, a guinea pig, you might say. The government built this facility, but they're very skeptical. I received word a few weeks ago that they were coming to shut it down. That's who I thought you might be. I'm not, but if I was, I would shut it down. Gladly. And destroy a man's life's work? Yes, if he's working to, uh, control my mind. Control your mind? I said nothing about controlling your mind. Only you can do that. Or your mind can control you. That's what we're interested in. Who's in control? The main computer only reads and analyzes the test subject's mind. And then it recreates in physical form his thought patterns. This is accomplished by pulsating electromagnetic fields in such a way as to slow down high-level energy va- Look, I don't care what's going on here. I was with a friend on a camping trip. I don't know how I got into this, but whatever it is, I just want out. What's the matter? I don't know. I just had a thought. My friend's in trouble. What are you talking about? I'm not sure. I, I, I sense it. I, strange things have been happening since we started on this trip. Tell me about it. It was fine the first day, but the next morning we woke up and our camp was in shambles. Did either you or your friend have a bad dream before that? No, not that I, not that I remember, but I did wake up in a cold sweat for some reason, really scared to find our campsite the way it was. Nothing we could salvage. 
strangest thing. There was this town we knew the exact location of, but we couldn't find it. Mm. Yeah. There was a something chasing us. What do you mean, something chasing you? You're not going to believe it. It was frightening, tall, about 35 feet. It glowed, it, it glowed. I'm sorry about this, but you and your friend will have to be debriefed by my superiors. What? I've had your touchstone up to here. I'm leaving and your, your superiors can go to hell. I'm afraid your leaving is impossible. The computer seems to have selected you as its first subject. It let you in. It will have to let you out. I apologize. I was not prepared yet for a controlled test, and I'm uncertain of the procedures necessary to counter it. I'll do what I can, but this affair is now between you and the computer. Okay, so there was a whole lot of convoluted dialogue there to just explain that yes. the computer is forbidden planeting him. Yes. Let's just let's just sum it up in 50 sci-fi that was very clearly the influence for this film. Uh-huh. Unless you want to count that I think there was a Star Trek episode that did something similar. Probably, but I can't remember it. But what this computer program is doing is it's latched onto him and it's taken his fears, his anxieties. He has heavy fear. He has heavy fears. All of his fear, all of his anxiety, all of his self-loathing and everything that he dislikes about himself and everything that he's concerned about or anything that like bugs him in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And it's physically manifesting it. Yeah. So how much of this movie is actually happening and how much of this is just manifestations of things that he has trouble in his own brain? What if he's just out there alone? That's what I'm saying. I yeah, think he like went his out camping buddy alone. was never there. This is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm certain. Yeah, that's... We'll, we'll, we'll dig into it a little bit deeper at the end, but yes. Yeah, you're yeah all, that's what I was... We, we are That's of, where I got to last night watching this. Yeah, that's... We're of the similar mind, so we'll save that for our kind of closing discussion on the film, because yeah. we're real close to having this wrapped up, and things are just going to get weirder from here. Yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, so during this, they hand him a huge wood chunk whenever they're saying, like, kill her with a huge wood chunk then all of a sudden there's a gun there this is that test they were talking about and then he's told to kill himself with it which he then tosses it away and then the gun and everything else disappears that's when the doorways all turn to the star trek doors that we were talking about earlier yeah and then the doctor looking dude that tells him to go kill himself and to kill the woman then disappears after that gus exits into what is some kind of a sealed hallway now with all these star trek doors asks for the door to open and for help that's where he sees marcy and this whole dialogue is what this is going on here who doesn't seem all there she's not really listening to him their conversations aren't matching up she's responding to other things that seem like they were either earlier in the film or belong later in the film from what he's actually trying to say he gets chastised for exploring on his own from the doctor as we heard in the dialogue and then we see some of those like sweet computer consoles going on when he's trying to talk to Gus and tell him what's going on he then actually ends up in another room after this and the guy the scientist guy invites him in there has him sit down and then offers to have him eat some food because he must be very hungry. And so now the scientist is watching him while he eats. The film shows Gus seeing Marcy. There's like this weird, like sort of like film filter thing where he's like looking at Marcy or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then it cuts to John in a forest. And then we see Gus in that same forest. And then Gus sees John as he darts off away from him. And then Gus ends up screaming John's name. Now John is in the desert again and all by himself and Gus is back in the lab Yeah, and then something is apparently wrong with the machinery the doctor informs him of this and it turns out that all of what Gus has been seeing, all of what Gus has been experiencing has been generated from the computer and it talks about how it's got this power overload where it's generating a man, then it generates a woman, yeah, and then it's generating all the, this is where I'm starting to think that literally everything because it made a car and it's complaining about all the stuff it had to generate and yep. all the power that it's taking. So apparently 
Gus's subconscious, his fears, and everything else that this computer is tapping into is so great, it's overloading him. Yeah. It would be basically like if a computer latched onto my IED and uh, tried to, like, you know, use my intermittent explosive disorder yes. to tap into a source to understand the human mind, it would just blow up. It would be like if a computer tapped into me and tried to understand my alcohol consumption. I was going to say your anxiety, because that's an extension of your anxiety. Maybe. <laughs> or your, your hypochondria. That too. <laughs> or my extreme indifference to the end of the world. It all goes back to your anxiety. You're constantly afraid of everything, and you're just so tired of it all. Yeah, I'm just tired. All right, so the computer then says that it's imminent that John is going to end up in a conflict with the entity that has been chasing both of them. And it turns out that Gus is, in fact, the creature of this thing or whatever this entity is that's been chasing them. So it is totally Forbidden Planet style. We've already kind of hinted at that and seen that. Yeah. The doc starts trying to shut down the computer and all this other power and everything that's going on while Gus just starts wandering off and walking around. He then goes into a door and walks into what looks like a bar that he just created and manifested out of his own mind. He sees people from his fever dream, including the priest and some other folks. I think even his own dad was at the bar at some point. Mm -hmm. They're all watching this rather buxom woman doing the go-go dance. And by buxom, I mean she's a brick house. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Whole lot of woman. Yeah. This obviously becomes more hallucinatory with trip out music and a bunch of other stuff. We even get this weird shot where they start doing this upskirt photography shot or like an upskirt shot of the lady dancing, but it's like they filmed the slit in her, her gown. So that's like up one thigh and then like up to her face. And it's this weird angle that's really like kind of disconcerting and just strange. And then all of a sudden, for no reason, people start growing these weird growths on their face and they're all staring at him and they get a stink eye so sometimes if they're if they're staring at him with hate in their eyes they look fine but if they're not looking at him and they're indifferent to him they're all like diseased yeah. in some yeah. way it gets really fucking weird at this point yeah i had to rewind it a couple times and be like what it the really, fuck is going on really movie? fucks with your brain at this point and then the dancer gets those weird growths on her face but is still trying to be all sensual and sexy and made me kind of wonder if it's trying to sell like transmitted std type diseases aren't so bad give it a try kids yeah something like that you know like, hey don't worry about it we have penicillin <laughs> Postulates on your face are sexy, see? That's a clip. <laughs> yeah. Right, so Gus exits this, what I have written in my notes as fresh hell. Yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> to have the priest from earlier in the film that was doing some weird molesty rites and all that other kind of stuff and then hanging at the bar, still kind of there right in the hallway with him, just wandering around. And then the old man who was apparently his father is there as well. And that guy starts to rot right in front of him for some odd reason. Because people rot. So Gus sees him, drops down to his knees, says something about daddy, 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 and starts hugging him. And that's when the old man or his father starts to rot. And then an alarm sound goes off because Gus's fucking imagination and his anxieties and everything else is overheating the power for this computer. And there's all sorts of warnings going on about this. And it turns out the computer cannot be turned out in this state because you try to shut down a computer that is currently melting down. All you're going to do is save the computer and that doesn't help this plot and the danger that has to be there. Right. So you can't shut it down manually or you have to go shut it down manually. It yeah. can't shut it down on its own. What are you doing, Dave? <laughs> 
It really felt like that. Yeah. When the computer was arguing with him, it really mm. felt like that. Yeah, there you can feel the influence of those all over this film very yep. much. All right, so they try to get into the generator room because it's overheating, but then the guy has no access, and then the guy gets some, the doctor that's doing this come, somehow gets an override to be able to get in there. And Gus's fucked up brain keeps getting more and more power and drawing more and more power, making everything worse. Finally, the doc gets the override to work. He gets into the generator room. As Gus climbs up out of the surface through the ladder, he's out there on on the other side of the pyramid and then he is there confronting the entity and screaming at it and the entity transforms into what looks like his own face the doc starts killing the power one by one but then gets blasted by an energy field very similar to what we saw earlier whenever Gus tried to walk up to the pyramid that would get him into this computer world then the doc places what I have in my notes as a fart synthesizer because every time you press a button on that thing it sounds like it's making a weird farting noise yes so it is from here on out dubbed the fart synthesizer. Excellent. He places it against the wall in this weird generator room and it shocks the living shit out of him, but he was able to press a few buttons and that leads to our final clip. You've come back. I knew you would. Why have you been running? Stay away from me. I can't. You know that. I'm the only one who will never reject you. Never leave you alone. You, you, you don't, you don't exist. You're not real. You're just out of my mind. I'll get rid of you. I can destroy you. No, Gus, I have come to destroy you. You are not worth saving. Now we can rest. That's what you want, isn't it? Peace, come with me. No, I won't. Keep away from me. There's nothing here for you. No one. They all... No, that's not true. And you hated them. No, I didn't. I never... What about father? He came between you and mother. No. She liked him more than she did you. No. And you killed him. No, he died because... You wanted him dead. Because he was trying to save my life. He... Because... You wanted him dead. Because he loved me. He... Because he loved me. He he loved me. And John? What? Your faithful old friend? Who, John? (laughs) Even he's bored with you. He's leaving and taking Marcy with him. Marcy? Marcy? No, no one. No one could take her. She's, she's mine. She's, she's me. I, I love. No, Gus. I am you. Look at me. I love. I said, look. You recognize me, don't you? I am the only one. You don't need her. You'll never need anyone again. Come on. I won't go. Marcy! It's too late, Gus. She can't hear you. Come. Holy fuck, there's a lot to unpack in all of that. Yeah, no kidding. I took some notes and I'm not, we're just going to move on. We're going to deal with this at the very end because we're so close to the end of the film. All right. All right, so during this whole entire diatribe where Gus is literally arguing with the embodiment of his own like id and ego and like everything horrible about himself that he can't stand all wrapped into this giant Zardoz brain, Gus gets zapped and then the doc starts tweaking out. Then an alarm goes off and sounds and gets worse and worse as all of a sudden this envisionment of Marcy or this embodiment of Marcy just kind of shows up, stands there, and then presses that last and final key on the fart synthesizer, which we heard in the clip. Yep. And then they cut away from that. After she does that, it looks like everything's shutting down. And then they cut away to John has a campfire. He's all off on his own, just kind of chilling out, and looks up to see a plane in the sky. He signals for the plane. Gus lands the plane. The pair won't look at each other at all. Gus takes off the scarf, bandaging around his wrist. The men then hop into the plane together and then fly off. They roll some fucking credits from there. (laughs) 
Okay. That was uh, fucking weird. I yeah. Um all right. So I think the little diatribe that he goes in where he's kind of arguing with his own brain or his subconscious, his id, his ego, whatever it was supposed to represent. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things that we need to deal with here. Mm-hmm. He talks about how his own brain blames him for killing his father because his mother loved his dad more than him. Yes. So he has a little bit of Oedipus going on there. Yes. There's some psychological stuff going on there where he, you know, couldn't says deal. one thing means his mother. Right. Yeah. And nothing could be his father from the truth. <laughs> And then he says something that was really telling there that I don't quite know if the filmmakers intended or if it was just a flub line that they left in. At some point in time, Gus says that Marcy is him and that John is not leaving with Marcy Yeah, because Marcy is him. And then so are Gus and John a couple and Gus isn't willing to deal with who he is or does he maybe have some type of uh, gender? Uh, and maybe it's not so much any dysmorphia of that. or something where he actually wants to be a woman maybe it's not so much of that as it is because he has such abandonment issues maybe the only way he thinks he can keep his friend around is to be a woman oh wow yeah like if he were marcy maybe john wouldn't leave him yeah or was marcy someone that they both were dating and that gus fell in love with but john didn't really care about but john and marcy ended up together or is 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 marcy john's wife and gus fell in love with her is marcy a manifestation of the most perfect woman for gus in his head. But it turns out John actually has her because that happens sometimes where a bro just wants his bro's wife. But I'm saying there's no Marcy. There's never been a Marcy. There's never been a Marcy. Marcy is because... The ideal companion for a lonely Gus, guy like him. Yeah, because Gus yeah. you know, is so introverted uh-huh. and can't get out there. You know, like he told Marcy, you know, John, not, not uh, but he was the, his friend was the one who went out all the time and was always friendly. Girls falling he, all over. Yeah, yeah, all that. Man about campus. And then Marcy was like, I'll, I'll be here for you, Gus, all that kind of stuff, and trying to convince him to live in the moment more than anything else. It, it really is the perfect woman for him, so his subconscious made a woman for himself. Is John even real, or is John the friend that he always needed, and he's off there in the middle of the nowhere? I think John's real. Okay. Uh, and the only reason I now think John's real is because we kept seeing video of him walking alone. Yeah. And, and if he wasn't real, there'd be no reason to yeah. see that. Okay, so were the pair actually in the wilderness together, or hear me out here right yeah. how about this uh-huh. he talks about earlier in the film how john lost his wife or no lost his baby because there was a miscarriage yeah so john may have lost his wife too because sometimes whenever you lose a child like that your marriage doesn't survive that does happen mm-hmm. john probably subconsciously blames gus gus probably subconsciously blames himself yep. maybe john left gus went off to their usual retreat that they go camping together where this experiment is kind of happening at uh-huh. and then the experiment basically supercharged his brain and all the things that he's been dealing with and all of the anxiety and pain and all of that that he's been having manifests right there. So when he wakes up with John right next to him, John is a construct as well. It's just that John is the only constant that he's had and the closest thing to a constant that he's ever had. So this construct of what should be John sticks with him through the whole experiment and that's why the computer's overloading because it's making a real person out of all of this. Possibly. But now the only thing, here's here's what there's I think. There's really no wrong answer because yeah. there's, there's, it's just how you want to look at it and interpret it. Here's not what I think. They both did go on this last camping trip before John leaves. Uh-huh. John and his wife did
didn't break up, but because of the death of their the stillborn death of their son, mm-hmm. she wants to move away to start fresh. And she needs to be away from Gus because she blames Gus even if John doesn't. Yes. And so John, of course, wants to keep his marriage going and they are going to move away and probably like have a like little bit of a fresh start in a different town, a different city. And Gus knows enough to know that he's not like invited. So but yeah. to give it up, John's gonna go on one last camping trip with his buddy in this area that they both like and they go out and then that's when all this starts. Or is this all just a giant nightmare that Gus is having trying to deal with all of this on a camping trip and the end of the movie is him waking up and and, and like him and Gus go flying off together even though they're having this quiet moment because the reason they're sad and not looking at each other is because yeah. they know they're probably not going to see each other for maybe, a while or ever again. Maybe. I don't know. But it's all possibilities. Well, this is what I want to say about How about Project this? Nightmare. How about this? All of this is a dream. He's not really in a plane. He's flying off and the only thing the credits ended before is him waking up in a thing of cold sweat and John's couch. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of this film. When I first picked this DVD and I decided to do Project Nightmare, I picked it because it was the shorter of the two and I had a lot of other shit going on and I was like, I'll let Matt do the other notes and yeah. we'll take care of it. I'll just do the first film and that's how we're going to do it. And I am super glad that I picked this movie because there is so much to dig into here. Yes, it's yeah. a rough film. Yeah. Yes, it is pretty much a student film level of production. But if you can look past that and look at the ideas that these guys are poking around with and trying to do some stuff with, uh-huh. I mean, for like a first time film, there's some really interesting, crazy ideas that these guys were trying to put across. Yeah. Whether or not all of it was intentional or just some kind of weird stuff that they were just trying to get that you can kind of overread into, it's like a kind of art film that I can get behind. And I said it earlier in the film, I think there's some parts where this kind of raises some early David Lynch symbolism where it's very similar to where you're just playing around with the ideas and just kind of seeing what sticks and what manifests and what works. Yep. And like, I'm really kind of sad that we didn't see another film from these guys as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Everything else looks like your standard fair film from here on out. Yeah. Like these guys could have had a surrealist art film career. No, actually nobody has a career in surrealist. No, that's 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 just David Lynch. He really locked into that. That's not really a thing. That's not a thing. Thank you, Bosworth. Thanks, thanks, Bosworth. We're sure about that. (laughs) All right. So anything else you want to say about the film or we should No, that's about it. We're gonna take a little break here. We're gonna play a promo for another podcast. We'll have a little bit more music befitting of Project Nightmare. And when we come back we will have some PSYOP news. Hey kids, it's F13 from Cinemadiabolica.com. Here at Diabolical Headquarters, we have an eye for the future. That's why we've stopped trying to figure out what it is you fickle bastards like, and instead have resorted to directly stimulating the pleasure centers of your brains using our patented brainwave fustigation therapy. Created and guaranteed safe by our own Professor DZ. Wait, I didn't say it was safe. But why take our word for it? Let's look at some of the test subjects experiencing an enhanced episode of Cinema Diabolica and see what they think. All right, test subject number five, role playback. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, God. Oh, shut down the playback. Oh, God, she's bleeding. Cinema Diabolica, dousing you with hot cauldrons of entertainment since 2007. Check it all out at cinemadiabolica.com and hear all the Pops In podcasts at popsyndicate.net. Summertime's here, kitties, and it's time to take a trip. To take a trip. This world's so bad. You feel so sad You gotta take a trip Into a world so glass A world of frogs And green fountains And flying dogs And silver cats And emerald rats And purple clouds And faceless crowds And walls of glass That never pass And pictures hanging upside down Won't 
get it? It was a hallucinatory film. It was a mindfuck film, so all the music is tripping music. Yes, yeah, like yes. Tripping balls yeah, yeah. and stuff. We, we all understand do, it. Do you have anything that's fitting for tripping balls? Uh, no, no, no. No. Do you have anything that fits at all? I got some balls. <laughs> all right, then. Show me some balls with the Psyop Taking another dick. That's the news. Coming yeah. to me. There it is. Maybe later. You know what Matt says every time he sees aliens? You want to do a little ass play? I do say that. And then they say zeep, zeep, zorp, zorp. And that All means right. no, we don't. Here we go. Shared by our very own court up. Oh, is this my uh, my funeral design? No, no. Oh, we're going to have to do that one, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we will. we'll do that uh, one yeah, next. Yeah. 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 Insider. People are trying to make their testicles bigger with filler injections, and doctors are concerned. I got Botox in my scrotum. <laughs> there you go. That's good. This is like the people injecting coconut oil into yeah. their dick. In an effort to increase the size of their testicles, some people are using uh, dermal fillers, according to Metro UK. People believe these injections can enlarge their balls. Creating, I have the most confused direction right now. Creating the most or more attractive appearance. This is like traces of death fucked to porno. People, the thing I love the most about this article yeah. is all of the South Park gifts that we got of the guys bouncing around on their I giant know, I know, balls. right? Yeah, yeah. That shit's hilarious. Just so they can all smoke weed. Typically, Always looking for wang. Typically, people are uh, use dermal fillers to reduce the appearance of wrinkles and fine lines on the face or to plump their lips or cheeks. It's the erection that counts. Dermal fillers are approved by the Food and Drug Administration, but there are caveats. Your they silicone should... penis budget is out of control. If you're really... filling your nuts with fucking derma filler, then yeah. yeah. They should only be administered by a licensed healthcare provider, and only certain types of fillers are FDA approved. Hey, bro, I can't get it up. Is what's going to happen if you keep filling in your nuts with that shit. Yeah. Although the FDA has approved a certain injectable dermal fillers for use in the face, for example, to enhance limbs and cheeks and hands, the FDA has never approved any injectable filler for large-scale body contouring uh, contouring or enhancement, the FDA notes in a release on their website. Countdown to Bukaki. So they can inject this nut juice into their face? Yes. Countdown to Bukaki. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> using dermal fillers to cosmetically enhance the testicles is pretty rare since other methods have greater longevity. Your Dr. cum will probably taste better. Dr. You really think so, Lee? That's going to cause that? Your Do cum will probably taste better. He's insistent yeah, on I it. Yeah, I know. Dr. Alex, I'm never even going to try to pronounce this dude last name, uh, the director of urology at the New York Urology Specialist he told the insider. He must have an incredibly long penis. Lee, just because he's a doctor of urology doesn't mean he has a big cock. I mean, if if, if cock length goes by last name length, this guy probably has it then. <laughs> okay, so go on about this doctor right. and the procedure. Alright, these fillers are also likely not doing what people think. You won't actually make the testicles larger with injections. The skin around will just have gotten a fuller appearance. So balls as smooth said. as eggs? Yes. Did he stick the needle down his Hole. Not for this type of procedure. It goes into the testicles, Lee. Pay attention. The injections can, however, lessen sweating and the appearance of wrinkles on testicles, according to the doctor. It really does make your balls as smooth as eggs. Yes. <laughs> The reasons and methods for testicle enlargement may vary. Testicle enlargement procedures have been around for some time, and the various methods range in levels of safety and permanence. And on your rectal passage, my asshole actually sweats. So that's what happens whenever your balls can't sweat anymore? My yeah. asshole actually sweats? Exactly. Apparently Duncan had this done. That, uh, I guess. We well, you know uh, what happens when your asshole sweats too much, right? What's that? Booty juice. Booty juice. Gotta have it now. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that does. That happens. 
Certain members of the BDSM community have used saline or silicone injections to enlarge their testicles, with one member of the community's death attributed in part to the silicone injections he used. The Your men- silicone penis budget is out of control. Oh, that's poor timing. Come on, jeez. Uh, the member, Jack Chapman, was a particular was part of a particular BDSM group where members performed body modifications for their leader, but not all BDSM community members partake in such modifications. Jerk! Others seek out testicular implants due to loss of a testicle or testicle shrinkage. Nudicles. Yeah. They're like small breast implants and the procedure takes just a half hour or two hours and you can go to work the next day. Those words separate, I understand, small and then breast implants. Yeah. But if you put those together, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would you do a breast implant that was small? Yeah, well, I think just for a testicle. You would do a small breast implant just to get a testicle? That's what these people are doing. (laughs) Nudicles for dudicles. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there it all is. Uh, if you're considering injections for your testicles, you should weigh your options first. These people think this is the way to solve their problems, but there are other solutions besides injections. So and we're back to dicks. What there's trying, a lot of weighing around. What they're trying to say is go see your doctor, people. Yeah, but seriously, guys, it's not worth it. So uh, yeah. drop the humongous balls. <laughs> yeah, drop the humongous balls. Okay. <laughs> yeah, do the uh, do the one about my funeral arrangements. Can you find that one? We're gonna do the about my on this next one though. Yeah, dude, we're still a little behind on this one. We're we're not even an hour and a half yet, so oh, okay. one more news story and we'll close it out. All right. All right. This one from the Daily Mirror. Widow has dead husband skinned so she can hang his tattoos on the wall. Necrophilia can be overlooked. Yeah. Finger bang a girl with a corpse hand. Yep. Corpse fucking. <laughs> Chris Wenzel, 41, from Canada, told his wife Cheryl that he wanted his skin to be removed, preserved, and displayed in his tattoo studio after he died. Corpse fucking. A widow will have her dead husband skinned so that she can hang his tattoos on the wall. The loving three-way with a corpse. When the tattoo artist Chris Winslow 41 knew he was going to die, he asked his wife Cheryl if his ink-adorned skin could be removed and preserved before he was buried. Hey, sex with a dead thing. <laughs> he wanted his children and grandchildren to be able to admire the artwork for years after he had gone. Okay, I know people think that this is completely insane. And I'm going to fuck it to death. Oh, whoa, whoa, yeah. bad timing, Corey. Yeah, whoa, holy Jesus. <laughs> no, I know people think this is insane, but if you understood the amount of pain and suffering you go through to get tattoo work on that level, yeah. particularly what it looked like this guy had, and then also the expense that you have and then the beauty of that artwork, turning your skin into a well-preserved canvas, this sounds so bad, is not so crazy. It's the creepiest fucking thing I've ever heard of. I, I legit want to do this, man. I legit want to have have my skin preserved when I get all my tattoos. Please don't. No, I really do. Yeah, you're not. No, I, I really am. No. No, I'm I'm gonna figure out what I have to do and I'm gonna get it arranged ahead of time so no one can argue with me. It's gonna be done. Gross. I don't care what. Where, where are we gonna keep it? You don't have to keep it anywhere. That's not your fucking responsibility. Whose responsibility is it gonna be? I don't know. Maybe I'll donate my body to necrophilia when it's all done. Well, they're gonna want the skin attached to the body. Not necessarily. They can use my, you know, parts as like a fleshlight. I won't have tattoos in the areas that necrophiliacs care about. Yeah, but then they're going to be fucking a skinless corpse. Most necrophiliacs probably wouldn't have a problem with that. Well, you'd have to find the ones who are really into Hellraiser first. <laughs> right here. Maybe you, but you're already dead. <laughs> I'm already dead. Yeah, I'm, I'm already, already dead. dead. So you think that's creepy? Like, Yeah, you, that's you legit, fucking creepy as shit. I'm going to just drop the fucking clips on this because like, seriously, man, uh, I think it's a cool idea and I really like it. All right. I want to have my skin mounted on the wall when I'm dead to 
display the beauty of my tattoos. Well, the wife agrees with you. She told uh, the Globe and the Mail, uh, I thought it was different, but yeah, that's cool. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get this done for him. You can hang a picture on the wall. A tattoo is something that's been done for hundreds of years. I'm just preserving it. Yeah, right on, lady. That's a good wife. There you go. Uh, and like I said, you know, I think it's weird, but, you know, fuck me. I'm not, you know, asking anybody to do it for me. So, you know, fuck it. You know, no. if that's something that you want to do with your partner and it's something that you both agree on, fuck it. Do it. You also are just weirded out by the idea that anybody's skin would be preserved in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just tattooed skin. It'd be like, you know, any skin. There's no, I just don't, uh, yeah. You would have been so creeped out at that Body Worlds exhibit I went to a couple of years ago. That German guy who gets people to donate yeah. their bodies and then he does you know, for science, the, maybe it's different. I don't know. Though. That's art. What he does is art. He, yeah. use, he does, he uses the trappings of science and he plasticines the bodies, but he turns them into art displays that are anatomical art displays. It's, huh. it's really morbid and creepy and beautiful and wonderful. And it was really moving and breathtaking to be there. You know, when you use the word beautiful, it skeeves me out. Beautiful. It's, you know, Illustrious. It's, it's like when other people use the word moist. <laughs> it's beautifully moist. <laughs> oh, see, when you say moist, it turns me on. <laughs> So anyways, <laughs> devoted wife discovered a family business in the U.S. that specializes in preserving tattoos of the dead. Oh, it's in the U.S. already? Yep. Kyle Sherwood, who runs the company with his dad's told CTV Saskatchewan, tattoos, you know, tell a story about a person. And for someone to get something tattooed on them that they're displaying for life, you know, means something to them. You wouldn't burn or bury a Picasso, and that's what some of these pieces are. I feel like every everything he's saying there should be filtered with an A, eh? Like, you know, A. Eh? The company's called Save My Ink Forever, and they will spend around three months working Chris's body, which involves a complicated and surgical process. According to Kyle, this is the largest tattoo preservation ever to be done in North America. Chris owned and tattooed an electric underground tattoo and did his first tattoo when he was just seven years old after his aunt let him loose on her skin. He was was respected for his art throughout the city. Fellow artist Mark Wishart told CTV a Saskatchewan Saskatchewan. 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 Yeah, you ladies ever been to Saskatchewan? Either, eh? Hey. Uh, if you know anybody. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Didn't mean to make fun of you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> if you know anybody, if you know anybody in the city uh, with a tattoo, it's probably one of his. Cheryl, who has been tattooed by Chris, said that she would also have hers preserved. It would hang right there alongside with her husband. I think that's fucking beautiful. And I'm going to look up that place and I'm going to make some arrangements and I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to put it in a will. There you go. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure that you have to display and my gonna, skin you're, you're, in you're your gonna, home. You're going to send a picture. <laughs> and they're going to look and they're going to go, okay, so you'll be coming in in three, six months. <laughs> Dude, I'm 70 pounds down. I'm the healthiest I've been in a decade. I know. I'm just giving you shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. People in glass houses should probably put their Snickers bar down. No, that's very true. But I'm not. Because <laughs> I'm not me when I'm hungry. <laughs> no, oddly enough, you're a lot nicer when you're hungry. I know, right? Because you're like, <laughs> maybe if I'll be polite, they'll give me food. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm full, I'm a real dick. <laughs> and you're certainly full of a whole lot of dicks. Ah! Well, anyway, with that, we're going to play a promo for another podcast here that really wishes they didn't have to follow that lame-ass fucking joke. We're going to play a little bit of music befitting of Project Nightmare. When we come back, we will close out this fucked up show. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Maddie. Do you like horror movies? I sure do. Well, did you know that most horror movies are inspired by real-life horror? Really? Like what? Well, take The Shining, for instance. That's based on Stephen King's real-life addictions, or The Purge which could be our country any minute now. Oh, and The Strangers, which is based on a real-life murder. People should be talking about these things. Hey, 
Guys. Oh, oh. hey, Producer, Producer Michael. Producer Michael, uh, hi. Well, I hate to break it to you, but somebody already is. It's you. <gasps> That's right. We are Fry Gay the 13th, the podcast where we talk about horror in real life and horror in media, all from an LGBTQ perspective. Because we gay, y'all. We are proud members of the Legion Podcast Network, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come along with us on this crazy journey, and as always, get slayed. Kids, it's time to blow up your minds because it's the end of this goddamn show. Yeah. If you made it through without having to do any hallucinatory drugs, there's something wonderful about you. And also that's sad. Go do some drugs. Unless you're at work, then, you know, share with your coworkers so they don't rat you out. Exactly. (laughs) Well, if you'd like to support our habits, you can support our show while you support our show with teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash cinema dash psyops. Some of the proceeds will go to keep Matt in the drugs that keep him in rehab. Mm, I need drugs, people. You can find our main feed at legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops until the Bo hears us begging for money for Matt's drugs. I need a... You I'm can, getting itchy. You can find our Facebook group Cinema Psyops on the Book of Faces. You can find me on there. I am Court Psyops. You can also find Matt on there. He is Matt Psyops. Also, all your proceeds go to help finding Tatam. <laughs> yes. Matt is now full-fledged Antifa thanks to his evil twin Tatam. Tatam. What a bastard. What a dick. If you would like to support Matt in his battle against all fascist, racists, and Tatam in general, you can email him, psyopmad at gmail.com. If you'd like to email feedback to court and tell him to drop this whole Tatam subplot, it's completely fucking stupid and really just an excuse for you to bash racists. I don't think anybody's going to tell you that. But they could still send me an email about something. I don't know. Yeah, send don't me know. naked photos of uh, B. Arthur or some shit. I don't send know. Send us naked photos of your smooth balls. Yeah, man. Botox that shit and yeah. let's see those balls as smooth as eggs. Yeah. But don't send that just to me. But you can email feedback to me, cinemasciopscourt <laughs> at gmail.com, where you can send those photos of those balls as smooth as eggs. Well, those are the court's DMs. Or Matt's DM <laughs> on the Twitter. So you can twit a couple of tweets to a couple of twats of your smooth balls. Whole bunch of clips here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am at court underscore psyop, and Matt is at psyop Matt. He also has a sub Twitter of at balls enthusiast. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a scissory enthusiast. No, it's at balls underscore enthusiast, and then another one at scissor underscore enthusiast. Yeah, okay. And that's your Instagram? Yeah, I think so. I can't keep track of all Me your neither. balls and fucking scissoring enthusiasm. But I love scissoring. Well, if you also would like to enjoy some scissoring while you're out there having fun, kids, kick the fuck out of this weekend. Make it your bitch. Make it your bitch.